Well, I was at a party last night. It was a surprise birthday party. Somebody had a 60th birthday party. Now, I'm not 60. I'm not close to being 60. But I'm old enough to get invited to a 60. And I had a guy in our church, a good friends of ours, Susan. I hadn't had a chance to tell you. But he told me last night at the party, he said, hey, you know, since you guys have closed the balcony for the summer, these summer weeks, he said, we came up to Fonder Church a couple of weeks ago. Now, they're regulars. He said, we came a couple of weeks ago. And we dropped in our tithe check, couldn't find a seat, and so we left. Now, isn't that a tragedy? Oop. No, it's not a tragedy. Did you hear the part about he dropped in his tithe check, right? <laughs> Keep your eyes on the ball, people, please. Oop. Well, Daniel stole my thunder. We're in this series, Will God Come Through? And today we're asking the question, will God come through when I need healing and didn't Daniel do a great job last week he really did he preached a great sermon he preached a senior pastor length sermon uh, last Sunday but a, a, a couple of weeks ago when I asked him to preach I asked him to preach on July 21st as part of the series and no young pastor is going to turn down the senior pastor for an opportunity to preach right I was that guy once and Daniel said yes and and it, you know they're having a baby in just a few weeks and Daniel said yes to me to my face in his office and then a couple of days later, he came back and he had gone home and I guess consulted with both of his higher powers, God and Carly. And he came back and said sheepishly, Robert, I probably shouldn't do that sermon. The baby's getting big. And, you know, so we bumped him to a last Sunday and I appreciate Daniel preaching and doing such a good job with will God come through when I feel abandoned. But today, again, will God come through when I need healing? There's over 100 million Americans who suffer from some sort of chronic illness. And so this is, you know, it's treatable but not curable, doctors say. And so this is, a, it's heavy for uh, some of us and it intersects with, with all of our lives um, to some extent. Will God come through when I need healing? You know, there's a lot of promises in the scripture. I was riding around this week listening to a song called Some of It by Eric Church. And he said, mama ain't a shrink, uh, daddy ain't a bank and God ain't a wishing well. But with all the promises in the Bible, sometimes you have to wonder, is God a wishing well? I mean, he's got plans for you that include a future and a hope. He will never leave you or forsake you. He causes all things to work together for your good. Nothing will separate you from his love. If you need wisdom, ask of it. If you trust in him and acknowledge him, he'll direct all of your paths. He'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. That at times can seem like an awful lot of very precious promises and we can twist God at times, God can seem like Oprah on a good day. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. But what promise, promises does God make about healing? This is when religious people, Christian people, start, we start dividing and sometimes devouring ourselves as we believe different things. But Scripture makes promises. In fact, in the Old Testament where we are, the Hebrew word, there is a Hebrew word for God that means healer. It's, it's a Jehovah God who desires to heal us. And the prophet Isaiah would so many years ago make the promise that in Christ, the future Messiah, that by him, by his wounds, by his stripes, that we would be healed. Well, what, what does that mean? All of us uh, look somewhere for healing. Anybody, don't raise your hand, anybody into essential oils? Or do you know about essential oils? These are uh, 
it's a chemical compound liquid that's extracted from plants, okay? The distilled essence of plants. And it's, it's used, it's inhaled in the lungs, and it's applied on the skin surface. And it is, it is said, believed by many, to stimulate the limbic system to produce health and wellness and to create uh, just well-being, to lead some ailments to literally be healed. We had a friend visiting with us about a year ago and she was really into essential oils and I had a cold rare that that happens but I had a cold and she was talking to me about these essential oils about she she rolled out she had peppermint and lavender she had jasmine and rose and lemon and she was telling me about all the benefits of each now to me essential oils are gasoline valvoline and whatever oil chick-fil-a uses to cook their chicken sandwiches in So I told her in the love of Jesus, I said, get your hippie oils out of my house. Take that steam dispenser thing with you. But no, I'm not here. Don't want any emails about essential oils, okay? So honestly, y'all, Tia's laughing at me. The verdict's out, okay? I don't really have much of a conviction about essential oils. But here's my point. In 2019, the most modern year in history, Here we are, and we're looking to things, right? We're looking to something. Everybody is looking to something to heal us. And so this story uh, from 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, You know, there's Daniel the lion's den. There's David and Goliath. There's Jonah and the big, big fish. And I love this story, and I hope you'll see why in a moment. 2 Kings chapter 5 Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Going well so far, right? Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. We try to live, in fact, I preach sermons that you wouldn't put your identity in things like this. Not what you do. If you're a mighty person, you don't put your identity in that. That's not who you are. If you are hurting today, if you have a sickness, can I say in love at the outset, that's not who you are. But here scripture gives us a couple of truths about this guy, about this commander of the army, that he's mighty. He's defeated many foes. His respect is high. He influences people, but we see that he's sick. Leprosy was the world's most feared disease. It starts out as a rash, and before long, over time, you break out in boils, Eventually, nerve endings deaden. There are times when there are just gaping wounds, sorry, just gaping wounds of raw flesh, where people become uh, grotesque in their appearance, and they're socially an outcast. They're banished. It was thought to be highly contagious. And so can you imagine yourself with this? And here is Naaman with the onset of this terrible sickness. Verses 2 through 5 of 2 Kings 5. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. By the way, let me just say, that is what you think it is. That is what you think it is. And next Thursday night here, we're having Mississippians Against Human Trafficking, having an awareness workshop that we invite you to. You've heard us talk about this. Okay, so she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, 
And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Now, let me translate to you. That's a lot of bling for the preacher man. Like he, that's being going to be offered to the prophet here. You'll see in a moment, but that's a lot. It seems random, doesn't it? Translate for you. That's 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. And it seems odd, doesn't it? And some clothes. That seems really odd for us. But back then in these ancient times, clothes were very, very different. Uh, they were um, rare. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But highly expensive. These were, uh, um, it was, it was part of the package and pretty cool. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I've sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. 7 and 8. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, God is up to something. And when God is up to something, you know what he does? I think he does this every time. He's raising somebody up. And there's somebody in the vicinity, somebody behind the scene that senses something that's discerning something. Do you know that God gives the church a gift of discernment? Do you know when, when he's up to something, somebody's got a gift and they're a leader. They, they have the gift of discernment and they sense something that the rest of us may not sense. And this is what's happening behind the scenes. And this prophet Elijah, know, he knows that God is up to something and it's more than just the healing of this man. And by the way, when God heals, there's a reason for that healing and it's always more than the person involved. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. This would have been greeted or should have been greeted very differently. Notice the plurality of that, horses and chariots. This this is the Syrians who have been raiding Israel. This would have been a classic case of hide your wife, hide your kids. But instead, because God is up to something, there's this alleviation of that and there's a sense of of wonder in the moment. Next verse, verse 10, and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. This is also odd. It's analogous. Remember, this is the commander of the army. That would be like Norman Schwarzkopf coming to my house with the cavalcade of, of Escalades, the, the modern horses and chariots would be the Escalades or the tanks or the F-15s. And notice that Elijah the prophet, he sends out a messenger, his summer intern, he sends to meet Elijah. Could you imagine Schwarzkopf coming to my house with all that? And I send out an assistant to meet him. That's what's happening here. Next verse. But Naaman was angry. And went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. This taps in to your humanity and to mine. Surely I thought he would. Surely 
I thought. I had this expectation. I had this scenario of how it would play out. Surely, you know, I played this out. And in my mind, I mean, this is the way it should go. This is how the people should act. This is how God should fit in to my neat category. In fact, this is how God should behave for me. And when your expectation doesn't get met, you get angry. Is that true of you? Can I tell you it's true of me? I need to yield to the Spirit of God who lives within me to bear the fruit of love, joy, and peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and self-control. I sat down with a man this week, and anger has gotten the best of him. And it became clear to me as he talked about work and marriage and family, everything's at stake for him. But anger is this secondary emotion, and often it's, it emanates from this. I had an expectation. Surely I thought people would follow me this way. Surely I thought it would work out like this. Surely I thought God would handle my problem, my hurt, my pain, my illness, my issue this way. And so we see the results. Are not Abna and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Got a little uppity spirit here. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned And he went away. Remember the angry man? He went away in rage. Territorial, preferential. My land is better than your land. My rivers better than your rivers. The story plays out. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Back up, if you would, to verse 12. Sorry. Or not, okay, here here he says, could I not wash them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Before the healing came, before he did what he was told eventually, he was defiant. He was, I would say, the meatloaf of the Old Testament. Remember meatloaf? I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. And here's Naaman, the meatloaf of the Old Testament. I'll do anything for healing, but I won't do that. The healing comes because of a simple act of obedience. And can I say to some of you today, jumping all in is hard for you. I want to give you the green light today to take a dip. One small act, one step toward God with a genuine heart, and he'll honor that. Too often, we underestimate a single act of obedience. And so when it comes to healing, when it comes to our hurt, when it comes to our pain and our past and our issues, we want it, don't we? We want it to be immediate and dramatic. And what did you learn in this story? What, what, what did we read together? I had someone say to me a few months ago, well, I want to I worship a God who heals and heals like he did in the Bible. What do you say to that? I do too. Like that's what I want as well. And she went on to say that heals dramatically and immediately. And do you know that not all of God's healing is immediate and dramatic? Do you know that? Not all of God's biblical healing is immediate or dramatic. And that's what we want. Naaman got angered. He went away in rage in that moment because it didn't work out like, work out like he wanted. He, did, he said basically, hey, do that thing with your hand. 
And here's the thing, as silly as it sounds, some of you giggled a little bit, but as silly as it sounds, that's sort of our heart cry to God. Hey, God, do that thing with your hand. Wave. I'm going to give you a little bit, God. I came to you. It better be now. It better be on my terms. It better be in my timetable. In fact, do it now. Do that thing with your hand. Wave and make it go away. Wave. Do that thing and heal me. And we want it to be immediate and dramatic. And notice Naaman. He didn't want the Jordan River. Anybody been to the Jordan River? If you've been to the Holy Land, if you've been to Israel, we were there last year. Look, the Jordan River, special place. But I don't know that I'd want to dip in the Jordan. Some of you have been baptized in the Jordan River. Like, I, you know, I like, no, no. It's not the greatest visual stunning river that you're ever going to see. But here's what I want to say to you. Sometimes God will use the very thing that you despise to bring healing in your life. And so in disobedience, in defiance, and with your life on the throne, you're saying to God, do that thing with your hand. And if I'm going to do anything, I'll swim in the mighty rivers of Syria, not the muddy creek of the Jordan. And God is saying to us, dip in here. So the very thing that you despise. And notice it's not immediate or dramatic, not as much as Naaman would want. But what we learn here is we learn humility and obedience. Let me ask you, are you ever going to graduate from that? You ever going to get so fancy that you're going to graduate from humility and obedience? What if you've been around for a long time? What if you're a leader in the church? What if you're a pastor here? What if you've been coming for years? What if you're in a group? What if you give? Are you ever, ever going to graduate from humility and obedience? And notice this. You, you miss this on a cursory look at this story. But Naaman, he was going to the top and God was taking him to the bottom. He was, he was going to the kings and God was speaking his message through servants. Hear me now. Here Naaman went to his king and his king sends him to Israel's king. He didn't want that. And Israel's king sends him to a prophet who was a leader among the weak and the despised and the marginalized. And in this very prophet, when he rolled up with his horses and chariots to his humble abode, he sends out the summer intern. And then he's told to do something that he doesn't want to do that challenges him. And you see, it's going to happen. For every heart full of pride, I want to say to you this morning in love that what you've been proud of and what you put your confidence in is not leading to the healing that you need. And here's what I know. Every mighty man of valor, everyone that's tasted material wealth and abundance and success, how important as you get older is your health? How much does sickness hurt? How much are you afraid of death? And here we see Naaman with his pride. And he went to his king, and that king sent him to Israel's king, and to the prophet, and the prophet sends the messenger, and he's asked to dip into the muddy creek of the Jordan. And he wanted immediate dramatic healing, and if anything, he would jump into a raging river of his Syria. Can I say that God can and does heal immediately and dramatically? 
I want to say that this morning. And I also want to say I've seen it. I've stood here before and shared with you a couple of stories that I've seen and in my own life at the risk of being misunderstood. But I'm telling you, I've seen God heal. In our series leading up to Easter, we did, a, we did a series, some of you remember, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. And one of the things we looked at is Jesus and healer. And in my own small group with a couple of physicians, we asked these doctors, have you seen things in medicine that defy medicine? And they said, yes, yes. And I believe God heals immediately and dramatically. But if you look at scripture, do you know that God wants you and I to be involved in the process? Consider with me, John couple of passages and a couple of quotes then he returned to the man of um, john six after saying this he spit on the ground jesus made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes and then he asked him to do something another passage in matthew 17 simple act of obedience I'm getting you out of context here. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find this coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Jesus is asking people to do something to be healed, to do something to discover a truth, to be a part of the process. And it just takes a simple, single act of obedience. This thought about humility. Back before this the one thing you absolutely need when you come to God is God here's what's so crazy about the story here's what's so crazy about the story he gets healed and you know what Naaman does I mean what would you do if someone saved your life That's what happened in the story. He does get healed and his life is saved. What would you do when you meet the man? Remember, he hadn't met him. When you meet that man for the first time, what would you do? Like you would talk about the healing. You would talk specifically about the leprosy. You would talk about the rash that grew to boils and you would tell him about the nerve endings that were being deadened and the the fear that you had for the gaping wounds of raw flesh and the social outcast and banishment that you were about to experience. You would go through that and you would thank him for it. And Naaman says nothing about the leprosy. And he says everything about God. And you see that thing, so important. In fact, I don't think there's anything more important for us to understand. No matter what you believe about healing. No matter what you've experienced. No matter where you're hurting and what you're waiting on. Is that we think it's this that we need. But the ultimate gift is God himself. And I've seen it. I've seen it in the lives of people. Oh God, I need this to be alleviated. I need this physical ailment. I need this emotional wound. I need this to be healed in my life. But the ultimate gift that God gives is God himself. I have seen God heal, have you? I have seen God heal cancer and take it away. I have seen someone, a dear friend, suffering with intense migraine headaches. We have prayed over him and for him and petitioned God on his behalf. And he has no migraine headaches to this day. I have seen a baby being born that ought not to have been in this world. And our church came alongside this dear couple and prayed for this miracle. I have seen miracles. And I have prayed prayers. And I have sat at the bedside of a dying friend reading scriptures like Romans 8 aloud to him. 
Romans 8, 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. God is a healer. He wants us to come to Him. And I want to ask you today, I'm telling you I've seen it. I want to ask you where you need it. What pain, what illness, what issue, what secret are you holding on to that you need healing in? What part of your past that you can't seem to let go? What emotional wound? I want to, um, in this moment, read an email that I received just a couple of years ago. having trouble with my passcode. I got it. I received this email in April of 2016. Hey, pastor, my name is. I'm a transfer at Bellhaven. I'm about to graduate. I've wanted to approach you in person at church for a while, but I was afraid I would completely break down in tears if I expressed to you what I'm about to. You see, when I chose Bellhaven, I didn't choose it because I thought I fit there because Bellhaven was where I wanted to be most. I grew up singing and dancing and acting. I always dreamt of being in New York, just two hours from my home. But when college was rounding the corner, I was in a situation I didn't know how to get out of. I was being abused by my youth pastor. Wow, I haven't heard myself say that enough. This is why I was afraid to approach you. Oh, the tears, the memories. The school I wanted to go to was the school my abuser graduated from. At that point in time, I felt that if I went anywhere close to home, he would find me. He would spiritually manipulate me. He would take advantage of me, confuse me, make me believe my relationship with God was not honoring to the Lord. So many things, so many lies, I needed to get away. The hard part, though, through that experience was that my dad was the associate pastor of the church. It was important that I attended services and youth events because I was the pastor's kid. At least that's what my abuser told me. I was constantly pressured to be so perfect and have myself put together and be a leader when all I craved was to be a student and to be a truth that I was so dehydrated and deprived of for those years. My parents knew I didn't enjoy church and gave me permission to go to a church I felt comfortable with. They began to see unhealthy qualities in this leader and gave me permission to stop attending for my safety, not really realizing how bad it really was. A church split happened. It's the closest thing to a divorce you can get. I was 14 and the oldest youth member attending. There were about eight of us that left when my abuser came in. There was a lot going on. Since my first year in sixth grade until I left for Bellhaven, I'd gone through five different youth pastors. I was tired of transitions and loss of confidentiality. I was tired of the lack of spiritual maturity and leaders I thought were looking out for me as their students. As you can probably put the pieces together, you'll see that the last leader I had was icing on the cake to the decision to run away. And that's what I did. My parents supported me moving all the way to Mississippi. I told them I needed to go somewhere where basically nobody knew me. I wanted to start over. I wanted to get away from the abuse. I came here knowing that I wouldn't know anyone and nobody know me. I was so ashamed. The first Sunday I was here in Jackson, I came with an RA in September of 2014. I was hesitant to, become, to come because church doesn't bring good memories. But there I was in a dress with makeup and a mask tightly strung around my ears. 
I glued myself together just like I'd done back home when I went to church. It had to be the very first song in worship. Oh, I tried so hard to keep it together. The tears were coming and I made it through. But then the second song, there it was, those words. I can't even remember the song. I remember the backdrop was a starry sky behind the lyrics. The lyrics were then blurred out by the tears welding up in my eyes. I was home and I was safe. I was so guarded I wouldn't let myself worship because vulnerability was an open door to let my abuser in. Worshiping and being open in church was the key to allowing him to swoop in and control my spiritual journey, my emotions. I stood there on the left side toward the back on the end of the pew next to the center aisle. You spoke that day from Ecclesiastes 2. There have been days when I haven't attended, when I've been bitter and couldn't stand the thought of church. In February of 2015, other youth members spoke out about their abuse. My parents asked if I would share. It was my time to speak up. As it had turned out, my assumptions of abuse were true. I'd been spiritually assaulted, emotionally, and verbally abused. And after beginning counseling, I found that this behavior was leading. Apologize for the length of this letter, but I needed to let you know with full knowledge that I had to thank Fondren Church. Bellhaven became a safe place and Fondren Church became my safe house. I still wrestle with God, but I know the truth. I've taken these last two years to rewrite my story, to reopen the wounds and scrape out the lies that were festering and growing roots into my bones. I've taken the time to clean my wounds with the truth of Jesus Christ. Pastor, your church and its teachings have played a large role in my healing. I can worship Him again. My journey through healing is not over. And prayerfully anticipating graduation and moving back home. Thank you for building a safe house, for teaching and speaking, speaking truth, and having a passion for your congregation. I will miss Fonder, and I know I will be back to visit. I thank him for the healing that he's brought through this body. She had the courage after this email to approach Susan and I right here. We'll never forget that day. And it's been an honor to follow her, to see her meet a man and get married and be leaders in a church. Anybody uncomfortable? We need to be. You see, there's abuse around us. There's sickness and there's hurt. And it's way beyond hashtags. And preachers have a saying. You guys have jobs. You have sayings in your industry, in your line of work. Preachers have a saying, there's a pain in every pew. So I ask you today as we close, and let's, let's have the team, Atia and the team, y'all go ahead and make your way up. And I want to ask you as we close today, where do you need healing? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it relational? Our God is a big God. Just like our friend, who was an anonymous pew sitter for those couple of years. Just like we now see and know her and are watching the gospel come true in our life. She told Susan and I one day, not long after that, that when you need emotional healing, you need to speak your truth. You need to have your head lifted and you need to be restored into community. And that's what the gospel does. 
physically, emotionally, relationally today. Would you stand? Would you bow and in this moment would you thank our God for being a healing God? Two things from this story when Naaman says surely I thought he would. The second thing from this story when those servants looked at him and said will you do it? Will you, in humility, do this simple act? For you, it could be forgiving someone. Oh, forgiving someone, who will avenge me? Maybe you need to end the relationship. End the relationship, oh, I'll be lonely. Maybe you need to give sacrificially. Oh, if I give sacrificially, how can I afford it? Maybe you need to step in and join this church. What simple act of obedience might activate God's healing in your life. God, be honored in this time as these altars are open and as a few of us stand up front to pray over people. Whatever the need, whatever the decision, whatever the direction, whatever the joy, whatever the pain, Lord, may in these moments before we go, may this be a healing place, a place where we seek you. In you, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together and you come today if we can pray for you.